It's 6 p.m. and you are listening to Community Radio, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, January 26th. I'm Claudio Mendoza and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Tonight, the California Report tackles sick leave, minimum wage hikes, and gives us an update on the Big Sur fire before bringing us a story on the historic Sutter's Fort in downtown Sacramento. Over the past year, State Parks has been working with local tribes to create a more accurate narrative about the violence Native people suffered during colonial times. After regional news and weather, Felton Pruitt talks with Nevada County District 1 Supervisor Heidi Hall. We close tonight with a commentary by Chaplain Norris Burks. This is the California Report. I'm April Domboski in San Francisco. A lot of people have had to call out sick from work this winter. Either they had COVID or their kid had it. Now, under a new deal brokered with Governor Gavin Newsom, California workers may get retroactive sick leave for the time they had to take off. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati has more. Labor unions urge lawmakers to boost paid time off, with Omicron infections now forcing many workers to stay home or risk spreading the virus at work. The agreement will likely win legislative approval in the coming weeks. It would require businesses with at least 26 employees to provide up to two extra weeks of COVID sick leave for absences from January through September. Companies would be on the hook for the plan, but the deal will also bring back business tax credits for research and development and net operating losses. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. 20 states started this year off with a new increase in their minimum wage, including California. A new study finds those wage hikes can help low-income renters avoid eviction. From KPCC in Los Angeles, reporter David Wagner has more on the findings. At a time when many low-income Californians are struggling to keep up with rent, a new economic analysis offers a glimmer of good news. The paper, published in the Journal of Urban Economics, looks at data on monthly rent payments in states that increased their minimum wage. The researchers find that after a minimum wage hike, low-income renters were 10.6 percent less likely to miss a payment, putting them at lower risk of eviction. One of the researchers is Musa Diop, an assistant professor of real estate at USC. Our study shows that minimum wage increases do definitely help low-income renters. The authors find that landlords do tend to raise rents after a minimum wage hike, but in the long run, renters are still better off. California enacted a statewide minimum wage of $15 per hour at the start of the year. For the California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. A wildfire that's burned 700 acres between Big Sur and Carmel started after high winds blew embers from a nearby pile of burning leaves and branches. The fire appears to have started on a residential property. Cal Fire officials tell the San Francisco Chronicle it's unclear if the homeowner had a burn permit. Permits are required to burn debris in the area. The Colorado fire broke out Friday evening near Big Sur and quickly spread across the central coast. The fire is now 50 percent contained. Evacuation orders remain in place for hundreds of residents in the area, and a stretch of Highway 1 is still closed in both directions. In downtown Sacramento, the restored Sutter Fort is a hotspot for elementary school field trips. People in pioneer costumes, exhibits of colonial-era tools. The fort helped shape California as we know it, but at great cost to indigenous people. Over the past year, state parks have been working with local tribes to create a more accurate narrative about the violence Native people suffered during colonial times. 
Cap Radio's Pauline Bartoloni has more. Tens of thousands of kids have shuffled through this fort about a mile from the state capitol every year. Until recently, they may have reenacted characters from the 1800s and interacted with park staff dressed up in colonial attire. But John Frazier of California State Parks says that way of telling colonial history fails in one major way. We missed the truth, um, and we missed the impact on Native American people. Native culture was either diminished or distorted or inappropriately represented. Frazier says the state parks agency, which runs the fort, was too narrowly focused on a heroic narrative about the Swiss settler John Sutter. So for the past year, they've been collaborating with several local Native American tribes to tell a fuller picture of his impact on Miwok and Nisenan people. He destroyed so much of our culture and history and just took over, you know, lands. Rhonda Pope Flores is the chairwoman of the Buena Vista Rancheria of Miwok Indians in Amador County. She says John Sutter violently disrupted indigenous ways of life. People moved away and, 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 and killed and slaughtered and enslaved. And that is very different from what you would find at Sutter's Fort. Historians have documented Sutter's killing and exploitation of Native Americans. One account describes hundreds of Native people working for him in slave-like conditions, eating out of troughs for livestock. He shelled indigenous villages and trafficked Native American workers. That's according to his biographer, Albert Hurtado. He had no compunction about uh, taking some men and a cannon and shelling an Indian rancheria, uh, killing uh, people indiscriminately. However, Hurtado says John Sutter was a complicated man. He preferred to use diplomacy before violence. And he was the founder of Sacramento. He was hospitable to new settlers. And he even tried to save the Donner Party. You have to show him in all of his different facets. Californians are not the only ones renaming or reinterpreting public areas with an equity lens. Autumn Saxton Ross of the National Recreation and Park Association says around the U.S., people are rethinking parks, bridges, and statues, too. So I can have a park across the street for me, but if I if it's named Robert E. Lee as a black woman, huh, you know, that drives certain feelings. So maybe maybe I'm not comfortable in that park. Saxton Ross says recasting the stories around these common spaces is necessary for racial healing. If we are gonna tell history, it needs to be accurate. So we have to actually recognize The thing sucked for a really long time, and we pretend as if it didn't. Early this year, California Parks Department will invite the public to participate in meetings about how to reinterpret Sutter's Fort. It's a long time coming for this history to really be um, corrected. Tribal chairwoman Pope Flores says she's proud to be part of shaping the new narrative. For the California Report, I'm Pauline Bartoloni in Sacramento. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing defendable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adaptingcare. 
and the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, January 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm April Domboski. Thanks for listening. Locally, Nevada County reported 164 new lab-confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 3,203 cases are active, and 32 cases are listed as active hospitalizations. Yesterday, in a post on their website, Nevada County warned its citizens to beware of COVID-19 testing scams. The recent spike in COVID-19 cases has led to wider public demand for testing. Unfortunately, this has opened the door for scammers to exploit those in need of COVID-19 tests. Both the Federal Trade Commission and the Better Business Bureau recently alerted consumers to COVID-19 testing scams, including fake home testing kits and fake testing sites. The California Department of Public Health has received many reports of potentially fraudulent pop-up COVID-19 test sites throughout California. Here in Nevada County, there are two state-sponsored testing sites administered by LHI. In western Nevada County, it's at 231 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley, inside the former Summertimes building. It's open Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. In eastern Nevada County, you'll find one at 10990 Donner Pass Road in Truckee in the Gateway Building, across the street from the Tahoe Forest Health System. It shares the same hours, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And an update from the Union on a story we've been following, Grass Valley okayed the RV park. The new RV park won approval by a narrow margin at this week's meeting of the Grass Valley City Council. Mayor Ben Aguilar, Vice Mayor Jan Arbuckle, and the council member Bob Brandstorm supported the RV park. Council members Tom Ivey and Hillary Hodge opposed. Lance Lowe, the city's principal planner, provided a presentation for the new RV park and resort planned for 11425 McCourtney Road across from the fairgrounds, which has its own RV park. The council vote finalizes approval, though much preliminary work remains before construction can start. Hillary Hodge, one of the council members who opposed the project, said that while the concepts for the RV park are beautiful with attractive amenities, affordable housing is needed. She says, we have people living in a house three generations deep because housing is that scarce. Given the proximity of the town and the location of this project, it's really too bad it's not affordable housing. Hodge also commiserated with residents who are frustrated with current housing choices. Quote, it seems crazy to me to welcome rich people's portable recreational housing when there's people who really don't have access to housing in this community, she says. The 20-acre RV park resort will rent for $70 per night for a duration of 30 days or less and is subject to a transient occupancy tax. No opening date is set. Turning now to regional weather, in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight clear with a low around 38 degrees Thursday, sunny with a high near 63. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region, tonight mostly clear with a low around 15 degrees. Thursday will be sunny with a high near 42. 
And finally, in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight mostly clear with a low around 35 degrees. Thursday, we'll see areas of frost before 9 a.m., otherwise sunny with a high near 60 degrees. Next, Felton Pruitt talks with Nevada County District 1 Supervisor Heidi Hall about the Board of Supervisors' latest three-day workshop and some of the topics discussed there, including how the county plans on helping our communities homeless. We're talking with Heidi Hall. She's from the Nevada County Board of Supervisors. She represents District 1. Uh, We thank you for joining us, Heidi. Thanks for having me, Felton. Did you guys just have a three-day workshop looking at issues? We did. Every year annually, we do a planning meeting to look at where we've come from the year before and make some preliminary decisions for the coming year. And uh, we don't actually vote and make those decisions at the workshop, but it's the one chance we're able to all be in a room together hearing the same presentation and have long conversations about them. So we had an excellent meeting this year and the items that we intended to agree on will be coming to the board for votes in the coming meetings. We addressed every single one of our, our priorities and we did um, a deep dive into, the, into where we've come and then where we want to go. We looked at our vision and mission. We reevaluated our code of conduct. We talked about communications and outreach. So it really covered the gamut. Let's talk about uh, homelessness. Homelessness is another effort that we really ramped up about five years ago and then made it its own separate objective. Um, We've seen some pretty significant change in the last year. We've dropped the number of homeless folks by about a third when you look at the unsheltered or families under 18 and veterans. We have more homeless uh, folks that we know with mental illness, and that's actually a sign that more people are coming in to us to get services. So that's been a pretty um, significant drop. And we've got this um, goal to house every veteran. Um, we had hoped to, to do it by the end of this year. We didn't quite make it, but we'll be doing that next year. You know, while we have a five-prong effort to prevent homelessness, provide emergency shelter, expand our supportive services, increase affordable and supported housing, and then enhance communication and collaboration. And so We've supported Project Room Key, worked in partnership with Sierra Community House to implement the state housing plans. Uh, We've completed the renovation of the Odyssey House, which is really exciting. And we've got 175 units of affordable housing completed and leasing. So we're in good shape. And what we're hoping to do in the coming year now is to um, avail ourselves of additional money to expand all of this funding largely flows through the county and the continuum of care. It's a group that uh, comes together to deal with this issue. And um, we developed a plan to address homelessness and began working with the COC to align around the gaps that we have still. And so last year, the state published legislation tying homeless funding to local plans that align with the continuums of care. And since we already have one, all we need to do now is update ours to incorporate the state requirements and return to the board for us to um, approve 
So what we're looking to do is make ourselves available for 2 to $4 million in homeless funding that's coming down. And we want to provide that to all five of the prongs of our objective. And then the second important thing that's happening in this year is that CalAIM is um, a new state health care reform initiative that really would uh, make it possible to use Medicare and Medi-Cal, to use Medi-Cal specifically, to expand it to be able to cover more issues that align with homelessness. So it, it has a whole person care approach, and it would give us uh, more opportunities to sustain our program, specifically our innovative home team, which we're really proud of. So in general, we're looking to take all these great initiatives we've already got and under what we've um, begun or we've already completed, expand them and try to find a way to sustain them. So we aren't just, you know, building something with one-time funding, but building in sustainability so we can keep it going over the years. Out of the three-day meeting that your Board of Soups had, did you also address the pandemic we're going on right now, this massive uh, influx of uh, COVID cases that our hospitals are being hit with in Nevada County? Yes, we did get an update at our uh, county workshop on the COVID situation right now in the county, and it's pretty dire, and our cases are still increasing. So in California as a whole, there were 212 cases per 100,000. In Nevada County on Wednesday, there were 170 cases per 100,000. So when you think about and the state's tier system was in place and that most restrictive purple tier when everything was shut down, that was initiated when we had 10 cases per 100,000 and we're now at 170 per 100,000. It should decrease in the coming weeks and months, but we still are on an incline. It's really important that we continue to get vaccinated and get boosted if you're not to mask up and you should be upgrading your mask to the KN95 or N95 to stay home and if you're sick and get tested uh, and to continue to social distance as you can. We've been able to keep the economy open, right? The stores are open, restaurants are open. The economy is still uh, open, but the only way we can maintain that is to continue to protect ourselves and others. We're seeing lots of staff homesick and businesses having to shut temporarily. Uh, but we want to get through this by, by continuing to follow the guidelines. If you want to provide public comment to our, to our board for our board meetings, you can email us at bos.publiccomment at co.nevada.ca.us, or you can go to mynevadacounty.com, our website, and get the information there. We do encourage folks to come and provide public comment. We've been talking with Heidi Hall, Nevada County Supervisor for District 1. Thank you for all the information, Heidi. Thanks, Felton. Take care. And one last note. If you want to call the Board of Supervisors and leave a comment or ask a question, you can call 530-270-3474. We close tonight with a commentary by Chaplain Norris Burks. Chaplain Burks shares his experience working with terminally ill adults, making tough decisions at the end of their lives. As a hospice chaplain... I've had to come to grips with the California law called the End of Life Option Act. This law means that when a terminally ill adult has less than six months to live, they can request medication that will bring about a peaceful death. However, they must be able to verbalize their request and they must be able to swallow the meds without help. 
In 2016, the law was months away from becoming active when I first visited Ruth, a 90-year-old hospice patient in Davis, California. Within a few minutes of entering her modest apartment, she tried dismissing me by claiming to be a lifelong atheist. I told her what I tell many patients. Look, I'm not here to persuade you, convert you, or even baptize you. I'm just here to be present with you through some tougher days. Ruth smiled at that, clicking something between us. She invited me back for several more visits that would become much like the book, Tuesdays with Maury. She told me how she had raised her two loving sons and made a good life for herself. However, she did grow up in Hitler's Germany, and she had legitimate reasons to doubt God's existence. She had seen the imprisonment of relatives and the deaths of countless Jews. She had had a childhood harassed by hunger and haunted by grief. Somehow, she became a woman who showed little regret about her life. On my third visit, shortly before the law was due to take effect, she told me about her plans to request the end-of-life medications. Would you, could you, she asked, be here when I take those medications? Inside my head, I screamed, No, no, I won't, I can't! Well, fortunately, the law allows medical staff to follow their own conscience on this, and I could decline her request and not be penalized by her employer, but, and this is where things get dicey, the legal wording expressly forbids medical staff to persuade or dissuade a patient in their EOL end-of-life choices. Instead of answering her straight away, I tried diffusing my answer. You know, our, our hospice staff would really miss you if you did that. Everyone talks about how uplifted they become after visiting with you. Then, as if unloading both barrels, she aimed a look at me. Yes, she said, but I don't think it's my job to encourage you. You must find your own reasons for living as I have my own reasons for dying. Ruth was right, of course. Her path was different than mine. She had to make her own decision. A moment of silence spilled over the bedroom, like stillness over a mountain lake. Then Ruth repeated her question. So, will you be here when I end this life? Now let me interrupt this narrative for just a moment and ask you a question. If you'd been in my size 12 shoes, what would you have told Ruth? If your answer is a profound, no way, then I'll follow up with this question. Why not? Consider what the woman was really asking. I think she was saying, I need to feel a presence. I need to know I won't die alone. In the matter of our life, and certainly in the matter of our death, the only thing we all want to know is that we aren't alone. When I realized that, I heard myself say, of course I'll be there. Not long after our conversation, Ruth woke up to her last day on earth and had breakfast with her sons. Then, surrounded by family and hospice staff, she became our first hospice patient to end her life with medications. She was never alone. In the weeks and months that followed, our staff saw the truth of what she had told us all. It wasn't her job to inspire or encourage us. Nevertheless, that truth didn't stop us from celebrating her inspiring presence. We will always remember you, Ruth. This is Chaplain Norris Burks. Check out my website at thechaplain.net or email me at norris at thechaplain.net. Thanks so much for listening. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for this evening. You can listen to it again on our website, kvmr.org, or by subscribing to the KVMR News Podcast. 
KVMR gets support from listeners just like you and from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners. Carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com And SBL Entertainment, presenting KT Tunstall, January 29th at the Sophia Center in Sacramento. And the North Mississippi All-Stars, Thursday, February 3rd at Harlow's Restaurant and Nightclub on J Street in Sacramento. Tickets and information, SBLEntertainment.com Hang out a little longer. Up next, an encore presentation of The Sages Among Us, and at 7 p.m., we bring you Democracy Now! I'm Claudio Mendonça. Have a good evening, and we'll see you tomorrow.